Genesis chapter 6. For the last couple of weeks, we've been having somebody come up and just read the whole passage because we're going through long passages and that sort of thing. Uh, but it felt kind of mean this week because we're going to go through like three whole chapters uh, and I wasn't going to make somebody else read that. So uh, I, will, I will volunteer to read it, but I will just read it as we preach through it. So as you're turning there to Genesis chapter 6, uh, verse 9, um, I, was, I was joking before, but I, I'm kind of starting to think it'd be pretty appropriate. We should probably just call this, call this sermon when it rains it pours because it seems like... Uh, we got a lot of sick people, we got a lot of people who are out this morning, um, but I, I firmly believe that those of us who are here are the ones who God fully intended to be here, and those who are going to listen to the recording after, uh, God intended for you to listen to it wherever you are in whatever moment you are currently listening to it now. Uh, so I think that he has, we, we've already been saying this, God, God is a God who is sovereign over all of his creation, and even though we have a lot of people who are out sick, and even though we have some people who are away and out of town, and it's just kind of a weird, uh, different kind of week this week, um, God is still in control. God is still sovereign, and we still uh, trust him, and we're going to continue to see him demonstrate his ability to be sovereign over his creation today in a really, really dramatic way. Uh, so let me just, I'm just going to pray for us one more time before we get started. God, I just pray that this morning um, you, would, you would be with our church, you would be with those who are here and those who are not, um, that you would be um, present, um, you would fill them with their, your Holy Spirit, that they would, they would know um, your, your presence and your concern for them for whatever it is that they are dealing with, whatever it is that they are experiencing. And I pray that, that for all of us as we study um, Noah and the flood, a story that we've all probably heard a hundred times, that, that it wouldn't just be, oh, that's that one story we tell the kids because it has all the animals in it, but that you would be changing our hearts and shaping us because of the things that we learn about your character and your nature this morning. And I just pray that you would glorify yourself um, during this time, that you would give me the right words to say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So Genesis chapter 6. Uh, I don't have it up in the screen. I'm just going to read verse 8 again, just because that was kind of our lead-in last week. We talked about how, how bad the world had gotten. And then uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 8 said, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And now we're going to see what finding favor in the eyes of the Lord looks like. So we're going to pick up here in verse 9. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So, so we get this new introduction of Noah. We've heard his name mentioned. We've heard his name said in genealogies and kind of he got that, that one special kind of call out last week, but we don't know anything about him. We're going to get to learn more about his life um, this morning and next week uh, as we kind of see how God uh, works with him and interacts with him and the things that he calls him to do. But I think it's interesting in this verse, like we just read last week, that every person was corrupt. Every person was wicked. Everybody's heart only did sinful things all the time, right? That was kind of the blanket statement for the state of humanity as of the last time we checked in with them last week. But yet, now God finds 
favor with Noah, or Noah finds favor with God. God's grace is upon Noah. And the very next thing that we see after God finds favor with him is that he is a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and he walks with God. So the first thing we know about Noah is that he has been shown the grace of God. He has had his heart changed. He has had his will shaped to be more uh, chasing after God. This is the first thing we learn about Noah is that he has been changed. He is a different creation. He has a new purpose in life. And this is, this is unique among all of creation. That is, a, that is an amazing thought, right? That, that everybody is broken except God has saved this one guy. And this one guy is walking with God. This one person in all of creation has been called to follow God. And God's going to do some interesting and amazing things things with him. Let's just go ahead and keep reading, picking up in verse 10. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. So this is a new description to what we've already seen. Last week it just said their hearts were evil, right? It just said their hearts were evil and only pursuing evil all the time. But now we add this new word. It was filled with violence. And we've talked about this a little bit over the last couple of weeks, how, how as humanity has spiraled deeper and deeper into its depravity, as they've gotten farther and farther away from God, uh, their inclination continues to be this, this lessening of their view of humanity being created in the image of God. And they value humanity and human life less and less and less. And, and with that just comes this sense of violence. We've had, we've had guys bragging about murdering people. And, and we've just seen this, this, this devolution, if you will, into the, the pit of sin. And, and now it's just kind of demonstrating itself through all of this violence. Uh, it doesn't say anything more specific than that other than they were described as being very violent all the time. He goes on in verse 12 and says, And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. So God is offended at the violence that they have, that they have stepped down into. The, the brokenness of humanity isn't just that it's a, rea uh, uh, a rejection of God, but now that rejection of God is leading to a, a reduction in value as they look at their fellow humans, their fellow men. And they are, they are reacting to them with great violence and, and, and just seemingly not caring at all for any value that any other human might have. And we've talked about this and we've talked about how, how present that still is in our society. I'm not going to go off on another tangent about that today. Uh, you can kind of you can go back and listen to the things that we, we've said over the last couple of weeks. But just, just this reminder that we haven't fully escaped this, right? This is still, we are still flesh that has been corrupted on the earth. And we are still corrupted flesh that is full of violence and full of neglect for the image of God that he placed in man. We still don't value each other and those who, who can't necessarily protect themselves. We don't, we don't protect them in the way of saying they are valuable creatures made in the image of God. 
there's, there's this idea that, that, that God put, himself, put, put part of himself in us, that we are, we are unique creations. And when we lose sight of that, we are not fulfilling our intended purpose, God's intended purpose for our creation. Right? Because what was it he called us to do? To be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, and have dominion over it. Remember that idea. That was our original calling. We're going to come back to that. And so God says, I've determined to, to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence. So God says, I have to do something. Something has to be done. It's broken. In a sense, he's saying it's beyond repair, but he's not saying it's beyond repair in the way that, like, there is no hope for the future. What he's saying is, something drastic has to be done for me to course-correct creation. Right? Um, and so, he says, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Like, I'm going to do something drastic. I, I, have, I, have, to, I have to hit the reset button. Um, So like when I was growing up, we didn't have games that you could save, right? You play Super Mario Brothers, you get, you get three lives. And when you run out of lives, you don't get to start at whatever world you last made it to. You go back to the beginning and you start over, right? It might have gotten a little bit better by Super Mario Brothers 3 because you could at least go back to the beginning of World 8 and keep going. But you lost all of your power-ups. You lost everything. You didn't get all the things back you had. It's not like you just got to pick right back up where you were. It's still going to be hard. You probably just need to start over, right? So uh, I remember when I first got a PlayStation, like that was the first system I got that you could do like legitimate save states with, and you had to have memory cards. But I had never had a system with a memory card, so when I got the PlayStation, I didn't get a memory card, so there were, there were like three, four month periods where I would just leave the game running all the time and just hit pause and then come pick it back up and keep trying to win and win and win. And I didn't have a memory card yet. And, and I remember, I'm, I'm telling you all this, this is counseling, this is group therapy that we're in now. Because uh, there, was, there was a guy who was one of my friends, that's in quotation marks, who thought it would be real funny one day to walk in and he knew that that was the state of my game, that I had it saved and I wasn't touching it because I didn't have a memory card. And he thought it'd be real fun to just walk up and hit that reset button. That was real painful. That was, that was real painful. Like very few moments in my life have I felt the kind of rage than when I had to, to go back to the beginning of the first Tomb Raider game and play through those first two levels again. I was real bad at the game. I never got past like World 3 or whatever it was. Like, but... That being said, that was a, a drastic and painful moment for me. And sometimes, sometimes that's what we need. And that's kind of what God's saying here, right? It's gotten so bad. Okay, here's, here's, here's probably a better example. Now I'm going to sound old. I, I, I previously sounded old when I was talking about things like this. I'm going to sound old again. So, so when you're working that Sudoku puzzle, right? We all work Sudoku. Who, who in here is old enough to work Sudoku puzzles? All right, so enough of us. So, you know, sometimes you, you don't take your time, you're not thinking through, and you just say, I, I'm too lazy, maybe this is just me, again, group therapy, group therapy, guys. Uh, so you're like, I'm not sure, it's either one of these two, I'm just going to guess and keep kind of filling it out, because it'll go faster if I just kind of get a number in there, which is a bad decision. Don't ever guess on your Sudoku puzzle, you can figure this out. 
but then you get to the point where you've, you've gone down that trail so far and you realize something is wrong somewhere in here and I don't know where. It's just my, my Sudoku puzzle is broken beyond repair. There's no hope for me to fix this. The best thing that I can do is just hit the reset button and start over. I think that's an overly simplified version of what God's doing here. He's saying, it's gotten bad. It's real corrupt. It's real violent. They don't love each other. They don't value each other. They're not fulfilling their created purpose. It's time that we, we, just, we just wipe the slate clean and start over. But here's the thing. God could, because he said, I, I want to make an end to all flesh. But, the, but what we see is he's already found favor with Noah. He's already walking with Noah. And, and instead of saying, I'm going to just kill everybody and I'm going to start with a brand new creation who aren't corrupt, who aren't sinful, he says, I'm still going to do something with these people. I still have this guy and I've still got his family and I'm still going to do something through them. But to do that, in order to do that, God's resolved himself that he's going to wipe the slate clean of everybody else. And that leads us to an important discussion that we can have about the nature of God. Uh, up, through the, up to this point in our study in Genesis, we've talked a lot about God, God as provider. We've talked a lot about God as merciful. We've talked a lot about God as gracious. But today, I want to talk a little bit for a few minutes about God's wrath. God as judge. Because, because that's one of the things, and we've talked about this over the last you know, few weeks, like the negative thoughts that most people have about the church or about the God that we serve are that they don't like God as he represents himself in the Old Testament. They see him only as judge. They see him only as violent. They see him only as destructive. They see him only as unforgiving. And he is not only wrathful. He is not only judge. He is that throughout Scripture. And we're going to see that here in just a second. But, but it's important for us to understand why God is wrathful, why God does judge sin, and that He does judge sin. Because that changes our perspective when it, with regard to who God is and who He says we are now as believers, as the church. That affects us, and it's important that we as the church are able to accept that God does punish sin, and that, that when we talk about things like the flood, it's not just a cool story about how God lined a bunch of animals up two by two and walked them onto a boat, even though he did do that, and we're going to read that in just a second. But, but it's, it's important, it's, it's vital that we understand and are okay with the fact that in doing so, he also wiped the slate clean of all the rest of life on earth. And that we, as the church, be able to articulate that and explain why God would do such a thing and why we're okay with that and also why we worship God as a result of that. It's a hard calling when we're talking about the wrath of God leading us to worship to, because, because, because it is a scary thing to think about God as wrathful. Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
It is, it is a terrifying thought to think, I am on God's bad side, right? Not saying that he has like a, a naughty and nice list, Santa Claus style, but like it's a scary thing to think that the creator of everything who can wipe everything away, as we're going to see, that, that I would be far from him. That is a terrifying, terrifying thought. And that is, that is a right way for us to think about who God is. And so, and so there are lots of places in the Bible that we can go to understand why is God wrathful? Why, why is God, who we are saying is sovereign over creation, so ready to also allow the presence of sin and then wipe everybody off the face of the earth as a result of their sin? That doesn't seem, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem loving. That doesn't seem just. These are the kinds of questions that we naturally want to ask. When we talk about God killing 99.999% of humanity and created beings to hit the reset button because of the presence of sin, that seems, that seems mean to us, or that seems unjust to us. That's not fair that he killed all those people. And, and Romans 9 I always default back to it, but it's just such the perfect answer for this. Because, because if you're going to say that God is sovereign over everything, how is it fair that He kills all these people and in wrath punishes them for their sin? If He's sovereign over all of it anyways. I'm going to read Romans 9, 19-23. It says, You will say to me then, Why does He still find fault? For who can resist His will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, and this is important, what if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for the vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand for glory. So what Paul is saying here, and, and if you don't mind, just go back to verse 22. I think it's the slide right before. Yes. When he's saying, what if God, desiring to make known His power, he's saying, if God is going to allow His creation to fully know every aspect of who He is, He also needs to be able to demonstrate that He is a God who is holy and is wrathful in judging sin. He has to be able to demonstrate that aspect of who He is so that, when you go to the next, when you go to the next verse, so that for those who are saved, they understand that they have been saved from a real danger. That, that sin leads to death. Sin leads to the wrath of God. Sin leads to judgment. So that they can understand that they have been saved from something and appreciate it and glorify Him even more now knowing that aspect of who God is. Because, because everything that God does is for His glory. Romans 11 verse 36 says, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. This is the point. That, that God is in control of everything. God is in control of saving Noah. God is also in control of judging 
and demonstrating His wrath to the rest of creation. And He does all of these things for His own glory. And that aspect of God's character is the aspect of God's character that, that the world so wants to reject, that makes, that, that makes the world feel so hurt by the presence of the church, but it's also the part that we can't shy away from. It's, it's the part that is the most tempting, that, that aspect of who God is. That is the part of who God is that is the most tempting for the church to kind of you know, sweep under the rug and say, we're not going to talk about the judgment part. We just want to talk about the love part. We want to talk about the salvation part, the grace part. The problem is, and what, what Paul was saying in Romans 9 is, you can't talk about the grace part if there's, no, if there's no reason for the grace. If there's nothing that you're being saved from, there's nothing that you're being saved to, and your, your love and your grace and your mercy are ultimately meaningless. They're empty. So God, in Genesis, is looking at creation, seeing how corrupt it is, and he's saying, I have to do something about this. I have to demonstrate my power. And in demonstrating my power, I'm also demonstrating my grace as I'm calling this guy Noah out, and I'm going to do something amazing with him. Let's keep reading as to what he calls Noah to. I think I'm picking up here, yeah, in verse 13. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And height, 30 cubits. Make a room for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark on, in its side. Make it, with lower, hmm, make it with lower second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh. You shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kind, and of the animals according to their kind, and of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you and keep them, to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. 
of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of heaven were open and the rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with him entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind and every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. I'm going to pause right there for just a second. We've all heard this story, right? We've all heard all the animals lining up. I mean, it's, it's still, in my house, the greatest craft ever ha- that ever happened at CRC was the Noah and all the animals craft that they did. It still hangs on the wall back there in the room. Right, that's the story. That's the part of the story. Because, because that's amazing. I'll, like, build a big boat that's bigger than a football field, and we're going to bring two of every creature into this boat, and God's going to save you. Right? And, and you're going to come into this boat, and then, then it's going to start raining. And we don't think about this, but, but I mean, a lot of people think it hadn't ever rained, so it's kind of crazy that God says it's going to rain, and, and all this water that I've got stored up, I'm just going to flood, I'm going to flood everything. And I'm going to kill everything, but, but this boat is going to save you and, and, and some of each animal, right? I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to save you. And I think just that last sentence that we read, and the Lord shut him in, right? It's not Noah built himself a boat, went in and closed the door. Even, even closing the door, that symbolic saying, I've got you, I'm closing you in, I am protecting you gets pointed out to us that God is the one who is at work in saving Noah. Noah, yes, he built the boat at the command of God. He did all of these things, all of this work. All of these animals came in and he put them all in different places. And he went and he got all the food and the grain and the things that people eat and the things that the animals eat so that they could survive during this time that they were going to be on the ark. He did all of these things, but ultimately it was God who shut the door. It was ultimately God who was that final reminder, that final step of provision. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you. And it's not just, it's not just Noah and his family. It's Noah, his family, and, and all of the rest of creation are represented here. All of creation has been saved because God has said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to save you creation. I'm not, I'm not done with it entirely. I'm not wiping it off the face of the earth. I have a plan for my creation, and I am still the one who is saving it. And that's the thing that I want us to continue seeing as we keep reading. It's just that, that, that it's still God showing his provision. God is still providing for Noah. He's making sure that he has everything that he needs, and he's the one who's closing him in and saying, it's time for you to just trust that I'm going to get you from where you are now to the day that you get off of this boat. Let's keep reading in verse 17. The flood continued 40 days on earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark 
and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Just as, a, as an aside, in case you were wondering if we believe that when it says God flooded the whole earth, we literally think God flooded the whole earth. Yes. And it's not, and, and I, was, I was reading, there's some speculations like, well, to cover the whole earth could just be the whole like inhabited earth because they hadn't had time to really get out and spread around the world yet or, 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 or whatever you want to say about that. Maybe it was just, it flooded right there. But, but for the water to be so high that, that it's, 15 cubits deep over the tops of the mountains. This, this is a description of God completely covering the earth with water. God's, God's judgment, God's wrath in this instant is complete, is total, is, is not held back. God, God, God accomplishes exactly what he says. I'm going to flood the whole earth. And, and by this description, we believe that, that he did. He held nothing back. He really did cover the whole earth with water. Let's keep reading. 21. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And that is key. Even in this moment, everything's destroyed, right? Everything's gone. They're sitting there floating and they can't see anything, no land, no nothing. It's just them. Everything that is contained in the ark is everything that is left alive on the earth. That's it. They are it. But God remembered Noah. Because God had promised, I'm going to save you. I'm going to deliver you from this thing. I'm going to let you continue to, to serve your original calling as mankind. I have that original intent for you, and I am not done. God is still faithful to finish what he promised. God is still going to accomplish all that he told Noah and all of mankind that he was going to do. And that's a key point. And I'll keep reading, and we'll get to that point in just a second. I don't want to get ahead of myself. You're almost done listening to me read large, large passages of Scripture. Let's keep going. And God made, the wind, made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the twelfth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. 
At the end of 40 days, Noah opened up the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. And it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. And she returned to him on the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth, and he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps in the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So at the end, God fulfilled his promise. I'm going to save you. I'm going to deliver you. And Noah, Noah recognized that it was God who had saved him. It wasn't that, that Noah had done all of this work, you know, mustered up all this effort, built this big boat, rounded up all these animals, rounded up all this food, and he had saved himself. Noah recognizes in this moment that it is God who has saved me. It is God who has provided a way. It is, it is, it is God who has done all of this, and it is God who we should worship. It is God who we should glorify. It is God who we should thank for his provision for us. And he, and he memorializes that by building an altar and having, having church right there, right? He says, we're going we're gonna to celebrate what God has done for us in this moment. He recognized God's provision and he wasn't going to miss the opportunity to, to bless God for having saved he and his family and the rest of creation. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, and this is important, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall, become, shall come upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And this is the moment. This is, this is new creation, right? God creates 
Everything, he says it's very good. He creates man and he gives them instruction. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And in this moment, God has essentially hit the reset button on creation because of our sin, because of our violence. And he says the same calling is still true. Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. But this time, there are some changes. A couple of things are different. This time, he says, your relationship with the rest of creation is still cursed. Your relationship with the rest of creation is still, is still broken. The implications of what he says here, the, the fear of man is now going to be present in all of creation, in all of the animals. Which, which I think, that's a really interesting statement to make because that, that implies that up until this point, animals, man, they were, they were cool with each other. They didn't run. It wasn't like... It wasn't like they were always afraid of one another and always in fear. And it was, it's, it's interesting to me just to see that, that this is a result of us being sinful and us being broken. Because, because here's the thing. God knows that in hitting the reset button, he didn't just remove all of sin. Sin still hasn't been atoned for. Sin still hasn't been repaired. We're not still fixed. We're still, he still said, right, back in verse 21, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil. He still says, I know they're still evil. I know they're still broken. I know that there's still sin present in creation. But I will not, again, punish them in this way. So he says, here you go. The order still stands. Have dominion over the earth. But it's going to be harder now. It's going to be more difficult. But at the same time, I give you all of creation. It sounds like at this point, up until this point, uh, man had basically lived a vegetarian diet, on a vegetarian diet, because he says, hey, at this point, everything. All the animals, they're good for you. You can have them. You can eat them. Just don't eat them with the blood still in them, because that's the life. He's saying, don't eat the things that are alive. Kill them. Prepare them in the right way. But, but I'm giving you all of creation for food. So, so creation has changed. Now, now, now they're going to be afraid of you, but also you're going to eat them. So that's probably why they're going to be afraid of you. I would be afraid of somebody if God told them they had permission to eat me. My relationship with them would probably not be very good. But he says, he says, don't eat them with the blood because the blood represents the life. And God goes on talking about the blood. He says, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it from every man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. God goes back to at the very beginning when he said, I have to do something because they've become so broken. They've become so violent. They've so lost sight of the value of the image of God that I placed within them that after all of this, after the reset, he said, as we're starting over here, I want you to remember the most important thing about the way I created you, and that is that you are valuable. You are set apart from the rest of creation, and the life of one man is valuable. He reiterates that it is important that we value human life. And then he reiterates again in verse 7, And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons, Behold, 
I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is every beast, is for every beast on the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. God says, I'm going to make a covenant. And here's the thing. We've talked about covenants before, and we are going to continue to talk about covenants pretty much from this point on for the rest of Genesis. Covenants are going to be a recurring theme. But, But typically when you talk about a covenant, you talk about two parties agreeing to a thing. But what power does man have to flood the whole earth and destroy all flesh? None. Only God has that power. So so when God makes a covenant with man, that that, that will never happen again. What God is saying is, I am never going to do this again. I am making this covenant with you and I am the one who will uphold it. I am the God of all of creation who has the power to destroy you all in this fashion again. And, and as we've said, would be just in doing so because we are still sinful and still broken. But he says, I'm not going to do that. God makes this promise. Because here's the thing. God has already made one covenant with creation. And he made it with Eve when he said, there's going to come a time when I am going to save everybody through your son. If God had wiped out all of mankind, including Noah, that would be God breaking that promise with Eve that he was going to bring about redemption through her family. But God knows I have made this promise. I will faithfully keep it. And in saving Noah and making this promise, he's not only saying, I'm not going to flood the earth anymore. He's saying, I still promise that I'm going to save you. And I'm still going to send a redeemer. The hope for the Redeemer is demonstrated in the covenant that God makes with His creation. He's saying, remember that I have saved you. Remember that I, even even in my most wrathful demonstration, remember that I still stand by the promises that I've made, the covenants that I've made with you. I am still faithful. I am still able to to fulfill this thing that I have said. I am still ultimately going to fix sin and provide redemption. I am still going to reconcile you back to myself. I think it's it's super fitting that I'm preaching this on a Sunday when it started raining today and apparently it's going to rain forever. Maybe at some point the sun will peek through, and maybe at some point we'll get to see a rainbow. That would be real cool, because then we could see and be like, oh yeah, that's, 
That's the reminder that God's not going to flood the earth. But, but with every covenant promise,